I'm a global citizen. I know people all over the world and I'm going to bring in mentors who can help the founders no matter where they are. But in general, where they're going to be able to meet face to face and really work on relationship, it's going to be here in Boston. So we want to leverage those, you know, experts who are here. Hey, it's Zach from Boston Speaks Up. That is the voice of Curdy Levy. She is the new managing director of Techstars Boston. Uh, folks will likely know Techstars. It's a successful startup accelerator that's tied to a global network of Techstars programs. I think there's about 70 and counting around the world. Um, Curdy is well experienced in the managing director role. She actually served as managing director of Techstars Iowa previous to this role. Um, we get a chance to chat about uh, all the different places she's lived around the world and sort of the global perspective that she's bringing to this new role in Boston. Um, and she also shares with us that applications are now open uh, for Techstars Boston uh, Accelerator Program this year. And those uh, they're open and will close on June 7th, 2023. So if you're an early stage founder, pre-seed, uh, get your applications in now. All right. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. And before we move on to the episode, a quick update for the community. In 2023, we're expanding the Boston Speaks Up platform, adding to our distribution channels, and offering more ways for local businesses to support and collaborate with Boston Speaks Up. There are immediate opportunities to sponsor the Boston Speaks Up podcast, where you can become a featured co-brand in our multi-platform distribution that spans social media, Boston Business Journal, Boston O, and the Boston O Beat newsletter, as well as new channels, including the Value Creation Labs blog and newsletter. We encourage folks to contact us at team at valuecreationlabs.co to learn more and discuss the possibilities. Thanks. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Curdy Levy of Techstars Boston. Hi, Curdy. Hey, Zach. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you here. Um, I was... Uh, excited to see some female energy at the managing director position of Techstars Boston. I hadn't, um, I didn't know your name when you got appointed the position and I was sort of like doing some digging and I was like, Oh, cool. Like she's from, you know, from the, you know, it seems like she's from the Midwest and, and ran, you know, the managing director of Techstars Iowa. Great. And as I've discovered more in the pre podcast, you've lived all over the world. You've been on the West coast. Now you're on the East coast. And so you have like all sorts of experience um, this to sort of bring into Boston, which is great because it's a pretty, uh, it's a beautiful melting pot here in, in Boston. Um, I'd love to just have you first give, uh, give a, a bit of a background on what you are doing in the present day in your role, just to kind of ground listeners and what you're up to today. And then we can kind of go from there. Great. Um, yes. So I am here in Boston as managing director of Techstars Boston. Um, and I am the fifth. Managing Director, Sixth Managing Director of Techstars Boston. Um, and I'm really, really excited to be here to work with this ecosystem in particular. Um, it's not that we only recruit companies from this ecosystem, but companies who are very interested in leveraging this ecosystem in order to be successful. So both those who have grown up here, but also those from around the world that see Boston as a place for them to take off. Um, running two programs a year, got a great team 
Uh, we're going to run one in the fall, one in the spring, and they're general programs. So we're going to be recruiting for multiple industries, multiple verticals. Every company, though, will have some kind of underlying technology, which relates to what the network and what the expertise around Boston provides for support. Cool. I'm curious in with, so there's typically 12 companies in a program that run and it's a 13 week program. Uh, talk a little bit. So talk about the ecosystem though, like how, how important and, and, and sort of how important is it to sort of be connected with, and it doesn't have to be alumni, but other startups, other companies in the community. Uh, so there's that sort of like knowledge transfer, etc. cetera. Uh, to, yeah. to talk about that role of Techstars. Absolutely. Actually, that's what um, Techstars was founded on. So the worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed. Um, our original founders really got together. They, they had founded companies themselves and said, you know what really, really helped us was we were able to eventually tap into people who knew what the heck they were doing. And in some cases didn't. And we wanted to create an accelerator, an environment where companies coming in could tap into experts in certain industries or experts in certain functions or people who had just done it before and knew how to talk to investors or knew how to scale their companies, knew how to, you know, deliver rapid growth, product led growth, et cetera. So our entire accelerator is built around a group of, of mentors who come in for those two reasons. Either they were helped by mentors themselves or they didn't get help from mentors and they really want the opportunity to help others. Um, but it's an incredible network. So those include many alums become mentors. Um, those also are startups, founders who had either bootstrapped or gone through other accelerators or gone through different ways of growth. And they come back to support others because there's a lot of energy there too, right? And yeah. then ultimately, there are people who are angel investors and venture capitalists themselves who will also give first, but they also get an early peeksie into what interesting companies are coming up later. So we've got all kinds. Nice. That's great. So so you moved here from Des Moines, Iowa. I'm cu- like, curious, like what exact kind of month, what season was it? And it, I guess the weather in the Midwest and, and the weather in, in the Northeast can be comparable at times, but just curious, like how, how is that move? And then, and then just how, how is it kind of acclimating to the city of Boston? Well, the move was very easy because it's a fluid move. I'm still neighborhood hopping. Um, so I'm trying out all the different neighborhoods of Boston. Um, I did come out initially for the first long stint in January when we kicked off the um, Crypto Boston program. So Techstars Crypto Boston powered by Algorand. I ran from January until we just had demo day. Um, so I was out here for that. And then I've been, um, you know, meeting investors. I've been meeting mentors for the Boston General program throughout that time. And it's been a great move, honestly. The you're right. The weather is not different. Um, if anything, I first came out here in January hoping to bring my cross-country skis and there was no snow out here. <laughs> so I was kind of bummed about that. But next year, I'll have cross-country skis with me because I love skate skiing. Um, 
But uh, the move, I mean, Boston, I'm not a stranger to Boston, right? I've been here a lot. I've been here as a um, as a play tourist. I come out regularly for Head of the Charles, come out to watch the Boston Marathon. My husband just ran his 10th um, yesterday. And uh, yes. so that's been part of our family lore. Um, lots of friends here, lots of business interests. So I'm no stranger to the city, but it sure is great being here day in, day out, being able to learn, you know, go to new restaurants and learn about new neighborhoods and things like that. Cool. I have to double yeah. click on the neighborhood hopping. So wh- which yeah. neighborhoods have you, so that's, that's smart. Um, you're, you're, so you've been staying in different neighborhoods. Like what are some of those neighborhoods? And like, can you, I don't know, describe for you, like what, what you're noticing some of the differences, yeah. unique characteristics are. Well, so um, let's see. I've stayed in Brookline. Love Brookline. Great walkable, great restaurants. Um, and then for, you know, the way my schedule worked, I could get up early and it's about a 45 minute walk to downtown. And I love that. Or I jump on yeah. the green line. So that was kind of fun about Brookline. And then there's a great trail that goes up uh, the backside of Brookline. I've jumped on that for running. I'm a big runner, so I need to be near trails. Um I've been to Cambridge, obviously know Cambridge well, and it's very convenient, also full of great opportunities to, um, I can go over to Shad and work out over there if I want, or um, go to great restaurants. But um, the one that was new to me recently was Beacon Hill. I never stayed in Beacon Hill, and I did coin laundry for the first time in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and that was really fun. Wow. Um, but I loved I loved being able to walk around Beacon Hill and our the accelerator uh, was being run out of downtown, so it was really easy to walk down there. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna make a pitch um uh, for you to check out an area that maybe you wouldn't hit because of the walkability factor to downtown because you'd need to take the train from Maverick Square into Boston from Eastie, but but check out East Boston. Go stay like in, and go eat in East East Boston because it's one of the most diverse communities um, in Boston, and you can you can have food from Africa or Venezuela or Mexico or, or in, in lots of places in between, um, and and that's that's kind of a unique aspect to it. They've also redeveloped the whole waterfront area, so for like a walker runner, cool. like it, it's a beautiful. Like you can go tour it by, I'm a runner too. So I tend to tour places by foot. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so, so check, check out That's EC. Great. Let me know what you think. Yeah. And you can go across the locks, right? If you go up to Charles, I, there's a, go a little north and around. You can go across the locks into downtown. Isn't that right? Can you get there it's, from East Boston? You have to go from East Boston to Chelsea. Chelsea like to and Charlestown. Then over. Yeah. Yeah. Like okay. you, like you have Charleston. to kind of go. There's, you, if you're going from Eastie to downtown, you're taking, you can take a water the taxi. The ferry. Yeah. Or you exactly. take a ferry, but there's actually little, yeah. there's actually little water taxis and you can buy oh, vouchers. Cool. And, and I used to work out of the East Boston shipyard, which is a cool area to check out. The, uh, I, okay. if you're familiar with the ICA, the ICA has a, a watershed. Um, uh, it's a, uh, the the museum uh, there in, in East Boston, uh, the ICA watershed is a really cool uh, place to check out. And there's Downey Cider and there's um, it's no longer called KO pies. I think it's called like Sea Biscuit, but there's um, really cool Australian meat pies that down there and see there's Australian food. Um, but yeah, ch- check it out for sure. Um, awesome. So moving, 
Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, uh, and congrats to your husband for finishing his 10th Boston marathon. Yep. That's yep. cool. Did he raise, um, was he raising money for a cause? He, I mean, uh, he does at other times, but nope, yeah, he actually yeah, qualifies. Yeah. He's a sub three marathoner. So, oh. yeah. <laughs> Whoa. I mean, I just, see, I just assumed I'm like, oh, like it's, it's hard to run the Boston Marathon unless you're like really fast or you're raising, or raising money. Uh, so good, good for him. So he's not sub two, like that gentleman from, no. from Kenya. No, no, no. That was in time yesterday. <laughs> sub three is insane. I mean, sub two is like superhuman. Um, that's awesome. Well, cool. Uh, again, congrats, congrats to him. Um, so I'm curious sort of the, before we kind of go back in time a little bit, what is most exciting right now? You just finished up. It was the Techstars crypto demo day, right? Crypto Boston. On, yep. Powered by Alcorand. Crypto Boston. Yeah. So that, so, uh, so for that, like what, what came out of that day and, and I'll just, yeah, actually I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of answer that first. And I just have like a few, few yeah. questions on that front. So what was nice about that? Um, first of all, demo days are really community events. It's for, I mean, of course we're celebrating and we're supporting our founders, but we um, also hold in-person demo days for the community. That's really the purpose of it because we're already introducing the companies to investors and we're working on, and they're, they're meeting investors already. And they're, it's not necessarily the first true reveal to the investor community. Um, so we like to really celebrate the community. And in this case, it was a crossover between the Boston general community, which is, you know, very, um, technology oriented and looking for new areas of growth and, the crypto slash web three slash blockchain community, which everyone uses almost interchangeably and each person has their own definition of what each means. Um, but those two communities together. And so we celebrated with some of the community leaders in that space, um, along with Algorand at Demo Day. And it was a wonderful day. And the companies just really told their stories well to that community. Um, huge progress during the course of the program, uh, both in terms of traction and, and some early intros and early um, um, success with investment. And so, um, yeah, they're doing really well. Cool. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on the word ch- uh, choice of crypto. Um, and it was interesting. I, and I asked you pre-podcast, we did, you know, we did our back and forth in yeah. this sort of digital written question and answer fashion. And I asked you about sort of like what was exciting about cryptocurrencies or crypto technologies. And um, I think you, you know, astutely like kind of pointed out like, you know, blockchain technologies as underlying tech, which completely resonated with me. I think I'll be honest, I kind of, I, I used the verbiage used by tech stars and, and I, I have a little bit of a, of a, of a bone to pick with tech stars and a lot of folks, which is, I think we're overusing the word crypto. And I'm, and I think we need to like more properly brand around like blockchain or chain and like that, that blockchain technology. I think it's the yeah. crypto and it's, it's tied to its ties to sort of like cryptocurrencies. And, and I think the, the same principles exist for both and we don't necessarily have to get all into it. But I'm curious what, what your thoughts are there because I, I crypto is a very polarizing word. Blockchain yeah. technologies. It's not to say it can't be, but it's not as much. And, and I just thought it was interesting. I thought your answer revealed 
a bit of your position on things. And I'm just curious if like you feel that not necessarily tension, but do you feel like a potential shift? And it's almost like we need a rebrand for the industry and we need to like be cautious of the use of the word crypto. And I, I, I'm just curious if you agree, disagree, um, just to make it more accessible because it is more like this underlying infrastructure is coming and it's through mm-hmm. these like ledger based, you know, blockchain technologies. And I get that, you know, my, yeah. my buddy Galen Moore, who used to be the editor in chief of American city business journals, like, he works at Axelar now, like the interoperability, like Web3 player, like out, out of Boston. And he schools me on this stuff. And and I get it. Yeah. Like, I, I get it yeah. enough that I'm like, it's the future. Um, yeah. But the more I talk about it, I'm like, it's it's not about crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's about, you know, a technology, you know, described as, you know, blockchain. And so I'm just I'm just curious where where you net out there and if if you agree. And can we rebrand um, Techstars Crypto Boston today here on Boston Speaks Up? Um, Well, so one of the things that, um, you know, crypto has a bad name partly because of some bad actors and, you know, just the speculation that went on and sort of the gambling type of interactivity that took on that was 21. Well, it's it's been there throughout. It just went crazy. Right. Um, And. Crypto in and of itself isn't evil. Actually, if you think about it, um, this whole idea, and I think I explained to you a little bit, this whole idea of being able to exchange value without having that be controlled and having a huge cost from entity to entity because of all the trust check requirements along the way, the philosophy of crypto or the philosophy of being able to exchange value between people um, is something that a lot of people believe that's equity for the world. That's, you know, that's something where people should be able to do that. And that's digital currency. That's value of different kinds. And crypto, if you tie it to digital currency, is related to that. Um, Blockchain underlying technology that enables that to happen, but there's still this element of value that's being exchanged. I love that. I guess uh, just to, to harp on my point a little more. So you just perfectly described that. That was very well done. I think that's going to be a highlight we need to push out to promote this episode. But crypto in that, in the way you described it, is an application of, an application on top of the underlying technology. And so it just, to me, it seems like given the industry is still in its early days, it, it would, it, it seems really valuable to like take a more broad, like, infrastructure kind of blockchain based view on things and then have like the sort of vertical like the verticals or sectors or applications thereafter that you know that that sort of act on top of the blockchain so and i'm and i'm by the way i'm not saying that's not what y'all are doing it's just from an outsider's view just yep. seeing crypto as the umbrella seems narrow whereas blockchain would be more expansive so i totally well, hear you i think yeah yeah, Algorand yeah. will be the first yeah. to say, and they did. Very, you know, we named it yeah. crypto. It was a cute name. It was, it was yeah. fun. It was catchy. Um, but I think Algorand also right away leaned into, you know, what we're really about blockchain, and we said, cool. yeah, we are. So it's all nice. of the above. You'll see programs called Web three. You'll see programs called blockchain. You know, it. I think it's yeah. all accepted at this point in time. Yeah, there's a 
there's an active rebrand going on. That's like I mentioned Axelar, like they're, you know, they're very heavily on like web three, you know, the web three positioning. So yeah, well, there's probably room. Here's another, here's another idea. So I'm I'm good friends with Ari Glantz, who, who's the, um, I don't know if managing director, whatever his official title is, his head is New England Venture Capital Association. Have you met Ari yet? I have not. And I need to. (laughs) <laughs> you will meet Ari, but yeah, so that any, so any VCA is the, is the trade organization for the New England venture capitalists. Yep. And, and it seems to me that, um, like in any VCA could even be a part of this and tech stars, it'd be pretty neat. There almost needs to be like a, a consort to sort of, um, develop like, and I mean, in Boston, I mean, regionally, I think you don't, don't try to light the world on fire yet. Um, but in Boston, it could be interesting to sort of like, because there are, there's like a lack of verbiage standards, right? There's like, it's web three, it's crypto, it's blockchain. And sort of, um, there's probably a good room for like a, like a blockchain technology sort of consortium here in New England, oh, let's there say. There is, there yeah. is. So some of the people who came to speak at Demo Day, um, the Boston Blockchain Association, uh, the Boston Dow, and then Cubic, all doing different yeah. things in this blockchain yeah. space. Um, so I don't want to put words in their mouth, but yeah. um, Boston Blockchain Association, a little bit more focused on the enterprise corporate side, but of course, open to yeah. others. Uh, the Boston Dow, very much an organic grassroots people coming together who all believe in the philosophy of being able to exchange things, to exchange value freely. Um, and then uh, Cubic, which is supporting startups in those industries, um, in, in anything having to do with blockchain. So um, there kind of is now. Um, so we need to get Ari also connected with all those people. Well, it's too. interesting. Yeah, but the, you described like I work a lot in the TV industry. Like, but the, that's like, that's great, by the way. And, and maybe Techstars is the rallying a rallying sort of center for everyone to come together but those are like there those are sort of distinctly unique associations um yeah it seems like, like it's the same thing in the tv industry so in the tv industry there's lots of there's several consortiums to bring standards to tv measurement therefore there is no one consortium that's bringing standards to tv measurement um so it's sort of like um that's sort of the challenge is, is, is actually like having a true kind of catch all. And, and the best I've seen, um, the best example I can come up with in New England is any VCA and what they've accomplished from a VC perspective. Like maybe there's other VC consortiums, but I, I don't think there's any with like the, the numbers, um, across sort of all sectors like any VCA has. And I yeah. think through that, they've been able to birth things like hack diversity, um, which is really neat. So, so yeah, so the cool, I mean, I'm glad to hear that Techstars, yeah. um, you know, crypto demo day went so well, and perhaps that's the beginning of like uniformity and standardization, um, of, of a lot that what hopefully will come out of Boston. We like to say, and so I've been working on reports. You mentioned a couple of these industries, artificial intelligence, robotics. I've helped do some reports for any VCA in Silicon yeah. Valley bank while they were still strong and and supporting initiatives like this. Um, And the reports theme were hiding, you know, hiding in plain sight technologies in Boston, hiding in plain sight, micro location, robotics, technology companies that are helping transit systems around the world be more efficient are here in Boston. Ironically, not being used for the MBTA yet, although I hope (laughs) that will change soon. Uh, But when you talk about AI, robotics, climate, these are all, 
these are all areas that are sort of, you know, hiding in plain sight in terms of Boston is driving a lot of global innovation. So I'm just curious. I mean, it, it seems you're, you're obviously super hip to that. So I'm, I'm curious, like just your thoughts on like the particular industries, like we talked about blockchain and crypto, but like you mentioned AI robotics, climate, obviously there's Greentown labs. Like how do you yeah. focus? Like what, what do you think are some of the areas that are, you know, is it, is it, which ones are most purposeful, but like, what are some of the areas that you're really most excited about in 2023 and heading into the future? Um, at your in your position at TechStars? Well, that's uh, I am excited about a lot of things, and sometimes it is hard. And and so any you know VCs, some go the route of we want to be very very purposeful and just invest in this, and others are very broad. Um, at, at our stage, we're focusing on people, so we are precede. Sometimes we're the first check in. And the, the founders need to have some kind of prototype or the ability to get a prototype up and going so they can actually accelerate something. They can't just come in with an idea, but they're pretty darn early. And so what I'm reading is people who have really strong founder market fit. So they're not in this because, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur and I'd love to try this out. They're in this because they felt it or... They saw a family member feel it, or they have worked in this industry so long and they're just banging their head against the wall saying, I've got to fix this because they're in it. I mean, they're going to be in it on average, right? Seven, eight years um, or many of them longer and some lucky ones and not so lucky, <laughs> shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they got it. They have to be absolutely committed to what that is. And so we're looking for that. I'm also looking for people who are coachable and who I honestly can get along with and they're good people. They, they Mm -hmm. understand what relationship means. They understand the value of connecting with someone, not transactionally, but connecting with someone to have a mutual beneficial relationship and continue that ongoing because that then opens more doors, which opens more doors, which opens more doors. And since we're so focused on network this is the beauty of a really good founder will lean into that and absolutely nail it, right? Just keep going and they will make so many connections. Um, So that said, um, we're looking at industries that are generally doing good in the world too. Um, And then we want to look at, hey, what can the Boston network help with. And it's not like I only have mentors from Boston, right? Because I'm I'm a global citizen. I know people all over the world. And I'm going to bring in mentors who can help the founders no matter where they are. But in general, where they're going to be able to meet face to face and really work on relationship, it's going to be here in Boston. So we want to leverage those, you know, experts who are here. So on the technology side, absolutely. AI, robotics, I mean you mentioned these Certainly now I understand, I know all of the people who are in blockchain, right? Um, but also um, in vertical industries, there's a lot going on in climate tech here. There's a lot going on in health tech here. Um, but there's also some um, investors were wise to point out to me early on, hey, don't forget consumer. There have been some really successful consumer companies built in Boston. And maybe because of the way I see Boston, as just such a great community, it's a super place to launch a consumer good. So I'm not close to any. Um, the other the other challenge is looking at, are they going into large enough markets? 
And then are those markets blue ocean or are they red ocean? If they're red ocean, but no one solved the uh, inherent underlying problem, there's a wedge for a winner to come in. They have to vary. They have to kill the technology. Like they've got to be the best. It's got to be super incredible user interface, user experience. And it's just smooth as silk, I like to say, right? Just smooth as silk. Get a wedge in there and just start growing that wedge and start pulling people from others. So red ocean's okay, um, but you know, new ideas are fantastic if we can help them get there quickly enough. The first to market. Right now, we're just seeing a huge, huge rush toward. I have the next, you know, operating system in AI, or I have the next greatest, yeah. you know, platform for AI. I'm seeing so many of them. It's really going to come down to people and their understanding of the markets they're serving. So we're going to see a ton of that coming up. I almost think of it as table stakes now. If you have a product and software and you're not leveraging AI to automate functions of that that haven't been automatable before, then you're going to fall behind. Yeah, totally agree. Tons of great points there. I have like a, a few I'm going to sort of follow up on. And one, you helped set us up for a nice segue into your past a little bit. Um, for starters, I love the approach you take to identifying good people. And, you know, and that good people, like that could mean a lot of things. And, and, I'm, and I'm sure you could go further on this. But one of what really resonated with me is people that understand the value in relationships and, and truly developing like uh, relationships that have, you know, you know, some trade off and, and there's, and they're, they're authentic, they're genuine. That's, that's really, um, I think that's really important. Certainly, certainly something important to me. Certainly, certainly something I'm, I'm hopeful for the future when I see my five year old in kindergarten, like being taught all these soft skills. And I was actually talking to Galen Moore. We got together last week and we were talking about his kids in Jamaica playing same thing, like the focus on teaching young people like soft skills, the importance of like, so my daughter's class led the, whole school has a Friday morning meeting and they do all these like uh, people write letter um, letters of gratitude, thanking people for things during the week. My daughter was up with a few people giving examples of ways that we should greet each other. And it's just, they're practicing like, you know, being, being thankful, being, you know, giving good greetings, like, you know, expressing gratitude. And to me, those are all those, those are like the most important skills you look for in folks you like can trust building business with or investing in, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we can acquire our hard skills, but like, let's not, yeah. let's always, let's always focus on like developing soft skills. And I'm 38 years old. I'm constantly trying to like hone my soft skills. I think that's, that's the way that, you know, we can, we can read and we can share and we can sh- exchange um, uh, knowledge. Uh, but, but let's, let's also like, let's treat each other. Well, let's be kind. Let's, Let's look out for each other. Let's practice empathy, which is a key word yes. at, at this at this at this elementary school. And I'm like, whoa, this it wasn't like this when I was in school. Like this is this is great. Um, yeah. So so I so I love that. I'm certainly happy to give you an opportunity to respond to that too, if if you want to expand on it more. I just think it's so important. Yeah, I was going to say one of the things founders don't realize is if you have the ability to think about what the person using your service or product is thinking or feeling, that's empathy, right? So a lot of people go out and they ask customers, do you like this? Do you not? They're thinking about data and accumulating data. 
really what you're looking for is a feeling. You're going to find the difference between a must-have product and a nice-to-have product in that feeling and really understand where people are coming from. So it's vital. It's like a, a skill that you have to have if you're going to launch a business and build something to solve problems for people. You need to understand what those people are feeling. Absolutely. Well, well said. So, so then the, the other point you brought up, I thought was great. Uh, the, the, every company needs to be thinking of ways they're leveraging AI. I just had on uh, the most recent podcast guest um, prior to you is Alex Kantrowitz, someone I've known forever, like back when he was like an adver- advertising age reporter. He went off the BuzzFeed. Now he's at CNBC. He's like the big tech contributor at CNBC. He wrote this really interesting sort of definitive book about um, the big tech companies called Always Day One, which is about mm-hmm. how all the big tech companies stay ahead by always operating in this day one mindset. Like we are innovating today to be ahead tomorrow. And then tomorrow we're going to innovate again and come up with something new. And he's like, you know what all those big tech companies have been doing for like the past decade? They've like AI has just been embedded in businesses for a while. Like, yes, we're all getting like excited. Like people are chasing like, you know, the, the conversational like conversation AI and, and 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 the you know general artificial intelligence etc there's there's it, there's plenty of heat around sort of like consumer facing applications of it work hacks with AI right now but let's be real like AI has been impacting businesses for a while now and businesses that are have and will be ahead are going to be leveraging AI I think it's such an important point um I think mm-hmm. if you're like a business leader right now you need to have like you need to have like meetings with your team it's like hey where, you know, you could be a company doing something totally different. It doesn't, you don't have to be doing something focused on AI. It's like technologies exist to accelerate, complement, and supercharge your, your staff to get things done more efficiently, to more quickly deliver value to your customers. Mm-hmm. AI is a catalyst for that. And, and, exactly. and, and, you know, I think so you, you hitting on that is, is huge. I don't know if you want to expand on that even more, but I think it's a really important point. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, um, probably the biggest change we're about to see is it used to be the tech team would be the ones who would enable the rest of the team. Now it's, I, I, I've been joking kind of with people that I'm going to be a CTO soon because I know something about product. I've been a product manager before. I've run product before. So I understand what the product needs to be. And pretty soon, I'm not going to put a date on this because I don't want get stuck on my bet. I have a bet with someone on this, Um, but I will be able to speak that product into existence. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the biggest difference that's coming up now. So the cost and the, and the resources required to enable that kind of change, that's, I think the biggest shift. You're right. It's been happening for years, but typically that's been led by those who understand the, the programming of AI and how to actually work it well. Now it's going to be in the hands of the marketing and sales and product team. Yeah, it's a good point. You just you just reminded me of, of some advice I oftentimes give to stu- uh, I'm the EIR at Endicott College, which is like here in, in Beverly yeah. where I live. And when students are asking me, like when they're not quite sure what they want to do after school, but they, they love like they're in the entrepreneurship club, like they're at the Angle Center for Entrepreneurship like all the time. And they're like, what kind of jobs are good jobs? I, I tend to recommend like product roles, like product owner roles, like roles where like you're communicating about product and you're providing, you know, research and direction to, yep. you know, inform product. Because I think a lot, um, 
A lot of key technology. I mean, it's it's the it's, it's sort of the linchpin of, of business. But a lot of the the key technologies that a business is investing in or could invest in, like I always say, like you know, young people, you can bring proactively like new technologies that help enhance the ability to you know create a hypothesis that like, hey, maybe we should use this new tool to um, you know better you know better connect with and empathize with our customers. Like there's and, and there's just so much. Um, there's a lot of innovation around products. And I think, yeah. but you know, to your point, like if you can, if you can communicate well, uh, direction around, you know, product, uh, you could find yourself in the C-suite someday, maybe being the C, maybe being the CTO of the business without an engineering background. <laughs> but maybe. I love that. And I'm sure, maybe. I'm sure engineers may be cringing at that comment. And it's, yes, yeah. I'm not belittling the, role of, of, you know, true technical talent. Like they, there is obviously a whole nother level then that needs to get explored, but some of those easy features and things like that, add-ons to platforms, um, it could be a non-technical person. Right. Yeah. Could, it certainly could be. Uh, All right. So then the, the, the other thing you hit on is you being a global citizen. Yes. And I'd love to talk about that. Talk about your upbringing, where you were born and, and where you lived and, and all the schools you went to. Uh, by the time you, you, you achieved your MBA, I think it was 13 schools. Yes. Um, so so share, share a bit. And I'm curious, like, yeah. what what uh, what is it that had you in living in those different places? You know, what were your what were your parents doing? But yeah, just describe your childhood and some of like the places you lived with uh, lived, you know, growing up. Yeah, well, um, so I was born in Japan. My parents met and married in Japan. They met, um, uh, my dad had been working there. He was sent over by the army to make sure Japan was not creating technology that could be harmful post-World War II. Um, And he stayed. And he started a consulting firm that was in marketing, eventually got acquired by Pfizer. He was with X-Factor in Asia. And so he was effectively an expat, which is something that doesn't really exist anymore. But if you were a U.S. citizen living in another country, you had your housing paid for, you had everything taken care of for you. You're called an expatriate. It was an it was a uh, role that you had at the time, a leadership in a in a corporation. So, my mom was a traveling school teacher. They met on a blind date. My mom's cousin was over there, introduced them, and uh, she never left. They got married six weeks later and they're still married today. So I wow. was born in Japan. So was my brother. And we lived in Japan. We actually had a short stint in the Philippines that I barely remember. Um, and I was in Japan until I was about six. And then we went through now in hindsight, being a business person myself, my dad looking for his next job. So we were in LA for three months, I think. Um, then he went to check out a job in Europe. And he left my brother and my parents left my brother and me with my grandparents in Minnesota. So we were there for three months. And then we went over to um, Belgium and, or sorry, first to Switzerland and then to Belgium. So that was four schools in one year. Um, and then, and then we went, uh, we came back to the U.S. So we were in Belgium uh, for a while, and then we came back to the U.S., and then I went to boarding school in Sweden. So I had a few years of elementary school in the U.S., then I went to boarding school in Sweden, and then came back to the U.S. But in each of the countries I lived in, I had to pick up a new language from scratch. 
And that was really good for the brain. I encourage any parent with young kids, introduce your Mm -hmm. kids to languages early because you just, you soak them up like a sponge. Even, and apparently until there's, there's research on this until the age of 13, you can just Mm -hmm. absorb languages. After that, you got to work a little harder. But Mm -hmm. I went to boarding school in Sweden when I was 13 and I took, I wrote a little diary and within six weeks, that diary switched from English to Swinglish to Swedish. Oh, wow. So, yeah. You still have it? It's pretty wild. Um, I, you know what? I do somewhere in a box. I just wow. haven't looked at it. It was pretty, pretty silly cool. stuff. Like this yeah. happened today. It wasn't very, it was it just, very deep. <laughs> probably, it's probably neat. Yeah. It, yeah. It probably start to, yeah. I, I used to take little like journals and stuff. They didn't start to get deep till I was like maybe 19. Um, yeah. Which is probably even still early to go, to go deep, but yeah. just seeing the language, <laughs> just seeing the language shift must've been really neat. Uh, yeah. That's, that's so but cool. It, it so it did, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, like I was going to ask you, like what what it's like, what it was like, sort of um, kind of settling back in in the United States after having all those experiences. Like, what you know, the the challenges there, but also like maybe some of the superpowers it gave you in terms of like, I don't know, maybe just seeing the forest through the trees, just like having lived around the globe, like you understood, like you know, your place in it. You understood, like there's so much more than just like a a, a community, you know, the, a community you're in or a country even as, as big and, 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 and thriving as the United States. Yeah. Um, well, definitely. So came back a few times. I mean, I always knew, I knew I was American, but I think uh, we were in an elevator somewhere in Europe and, and someone came in and said, and where do you live, young lady? And I said, dad, where do we live? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> where are we living now? Um, but but we did have my parents had um, had some land in Monterey, California, and so that was from my dad's time at the Defense Language Institute, where he studied Japanese. And so even when we were living overseas, Monterey, California, was meant to be home. Um, and so that became sort of this idea that's home. We didn't actually. Well, we moved there briefly in one of those elementary stops, but we had a house fire and we had to leave there. We went oh, up no. to Palo Alto, which was closer to where my dad lived um, or where he worked. And um, so that was easy. So we lived in Palo Alto for a while. But the gift they gave me after all of these schools was four years of high school. And that was in the Monterey Peninsula. And so um, I'll... I, forever thank them for it because I've known so many friends to be, to have moved high school years. And those are so important for establishing friendships. And you're looking at someone who had to learn how to establish friendships early on quickly, right? Cause jump into a new school, meet people. And I wasn't that comfortable. I was, I was more of an introvert to be honest when I was young. And I still think technically if you get your energy from being by yourself and, you know, rowing, running in the woods, whatever I do. Um, but I definitely learned how to meet people and make friends quickly or, you know, somehow connect with people quickly. And that was really valuable. Um, the other thing you mentioned is, yes, it's a global perspective. So I see the world through um, a global lens. I didn't mention that after college, I went to China for six years. So I lived in China oh, wow. for six years and I feel very comfortable <laughs> in almost any country I go to. Um, 
And I remember at one point, I think um, our kids were, you know, maybe in their tween, tweener phase. We went to Israel as a family and I'd never been to Israel. And I remember feeling giddy in the Newark airport saying, I'm going somewhere, somewhere I've never new. been and it's different and I can't wait. And I get that feeling every time I go somewhere new because I can't wait to learn it. But there's so many places where I feel so comfortable too. So it's a combination of feeling very comfortable and just loving meeting people of the world. We've got whatever, if we're lucky, we have a hundred years on this planet. It's so great right. to be able to connect with people yeah. from all over. Yeah. Uh, there's a Kurt Vonnegut quote. It's like, uh, you know, on the outside, maybe you got a hundred years on the planet. God damn it. You got to be kind. Um, (laughs) My brother actually got that framed and gave it to our first daughter when she was born. Uh, My, my brother and I share a love of, of, uh, of fiction. So um, yeah. So, so anyways, shout out to Kurt Vonnegut. I'm on a Jim Harrison kick right now who wrote, who wrote the book um, that was made into legends of the fall, Brad Pitt's movie. That yeah. he burst on the scene, yeah. but we'll talk book club another day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to share a book that you're reading right now. It's okay. Uh, right now, um, you know, I a friend got me Peter Atia's book on how yep. to live a healthy life. It is fantastic. It's um, nice. so deep in that, and it's very thick. So. <laughs> cool. So yeah, it'll yeah. take some time. Well, you know, the summer's coming. You got your first summer in New That's England. Right. You did some nice. Right. Yeah. Are you? you like hitting the beaches? Um, you know, I, my summer time is spent on rivers and uh, rowing and lakes. Um, we do row, we, uh, go up to Northwestern. So the upper Northwest as far away from here as you can get. Um, and we row on the ocean up there too. So nice. That's awesome. I, I have a, I have a question about your, so your time that you spent all over, I imagine it was challenge. Like you, you mentioned this pre-podcast, like you were a bit shy. Um, you had to like acclimate as a, but, but you picked up some mentors along the way. Yes. And I'm just curious, yes. like who those mentors were and, and, and how they even still help you to this day. Yeah. Those, so the, I mentioned a couple to you and, and they became mentors when I was in, um, high school and college. So as a kid, you know, obviously there's so many people I can name who are mentors mm-hmm. to me as a, as a young child, but, um, one Carol Kaufman, uh, was someone my dad worked with and she's just been an incredible mentor. She had the foresight to take a business after she worked with my dad many years later, um, to take a business that had gone through a a bankruptcy, but had great assets. And she and a group of leaders took that, um, took that over and relaunched it, took it public and really just built an incredible business in the islands industry. And I've just been so impressed. And she's just been there every turn, every time I needed to, Hey, what do you think about this? Or if I'm considering a new, um, direction in life. She's just been a great mentor to bounce ideas off of. And then um, Roberta Lipson also, I'm going to use the word badass. Sorry, you can edit it yeah, out if you nice. want. But oh, both Carol time. That's and great. Roberta yeah. are badasses. Yeah. Um, but um, Roberta was, uh, she started a company in China. She arrived in China, literally as Deng Xiaoping in that era 
um, one of the first of, uh, you know, first Americans in China. I think it was 1979 or 1980. She got there for the first time, um, set up a trading company, was one of the earliest business people there. She's also the first person to set up a foreign hospital chain in China. Um, and just incredible, fluent Chinese, um, an amazing person. And again, just available and so giving to uh, me when I was growing up and I had questions for her about things to do, um, you know, with regard to both professional and personal choices. She, um, she also gave me some great personal advice, which was marry someone who you really, really want to hang out with and who you can (laughs) understand. Um, And it was, it was great advice. And that was long before I met my husband and it served well. (laughs) <laughs> nice. Well, that that's a, a good segue back to Boston because earlier you had mentioned like you were kind of alluding to your global perspective and being able to bring mentors from all over the world to the startup community in Boston. So, yeah. I mean, can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Like, yeah. it, it, like how like how you're approaching sort of t- tapping your own network across yep. to, to help sort of Boston startups right now? I will I'll yeah. preface it by saying, um, you know, one of the things that, and, and I'll mention Iowa in this, but one of the things I kept saying in Iowa was it's my job as managing director to bring, um, to introduce the world to Iowa and Iowa to the world. And I would be this, I would say the same for Boston, although Boston is better known to the world. So, um, yeah. but I think, that's where the the value comes in is being able to you know a lot of um, economic development organizations or um, even some of the even some of the investors really like to think about borders and I think some VCs think about borders in terms of practicality. Hey, if I want to go to an in person board meeting, I want to travel. You know within an hour and a half, right? Which makes sense. And I think there's some real value there. But I never think in terms of borders. I think in terms of value. And I feel like if a company is starting up in Boston, that company is not just going to serve the Boston market. Yes, absolutely. Boston market is a great initial um, you know, wedge or yeah. Trojan horse or whatever you want to call it. You know, It's entry into their market. But they've got to be thinking globally and they need to understand what's going on globally and they need to understand what are people doing over there and over there? What are people doing in Europe and Asia and other parts of the U.S.? And so I think it's really important early to instill in founders also a global mindset. If they're on venture scale, they're talking huge. You need to be thinking on a global level. And so um, that's the way I think about it. And if there's a mentor who is um, really, really experienced in a certain function and they don't happen to be in the area, I am certainly going to call them in and bring bring them, you know, introduce them to that founder so they can benefit from that relationship. But the bonus to that too is then being able to see, oh, this is what's going on in that part of the world. Techstars is a great overlay for that. We've got, you know, I think it's 70 plus accelerators now worldwide. Um we're certainly more concentrated in the U S than anywhere else, but growing in Europe. Um, and the goal is to be 
the largest, and we actually did become the largest pre-seed investor in the world this year. Um, but, you know, we're hoping to keep that and grow that so that many entrepreneurs can experience success. Nice. I love that. That was a good riff on on no borders. Um, I really appreciate that. One, one of the one of the things I'm curious sort of moving forward is like, so you've, you've been with Techstars for a while now and you've, you've been a managing director in, in multiple, um, in multiple cities. Uh, I'm at, so you've sort of been connected to the leadership at Techstars, um, in this you know, 70, you know, and plus, you know, and growing programs around the world. Uh, how have you seen Techstars evolve? Like, What's, you know, catch us up on like the last couple of years, like, you know, maybe, you know, things that changed and were forced maybe by, you know, the pandemic and a shift to virtual. And I'm also curious, like, what's, you know, what's new and what, what are you excited about in terms of like the types of um, programming or sort of like, uh, you know, interconnect, you know, the connect, you know, connectivity, um, you know, between cities in these, you know, seemingly disparate places that Techstars is the common weave for, like, um, yeah, like what, what's the last few years been like, what are some of those highlights and what are you excited about moving forward? Yeah. Well, you know, the pre, my very first accelerator, um, was the pandemic. I went to three <laughs> in-person events for recruiting yeah. founders and then got shut down and did, did you start it? It was like, I started at the end of 2019, 2019 right into 2020. That's right. I was so. <laughs> just recruiting. Right. And the program was going to run that next summer. And so, yeah. um, we went completely remote and, um, it was, so first of all, um, Ryan Cooter, who's a colleague of mine who runs Techstars Anywhere, he had the playbook for how to run a remote accelerator. Yeah. And boom. He's like, I got the Anywhere playbook. <laughs> within within a week, all of us had our Anywhere playbook. And Ryan was yeah. doing sessions with all of us. And so that was great. But then recruiting online, right? All these people came together. So in, in that instance, it was the Midwest ecosystem, like, you know, um, events coming up online where you can meet lots of people at once, different, um, uh, there were literally spreadsheets that, you know, you could jump in and say, I'd love to meet with these founders, these founders. And it, it was really, that was an interesting time. But I think prior to that time, the Techstars accelerators were a lot more geographically focused. Um, I think except for anywhere, a hundred percent of them were in person for three months and what happened both during the pandemic, obviously we we're all remote, but then when we started to safely bring people back together in late 21 and 22, um, there was a different mindset, right? And founders who never would have applied for an accelerator before all of a sudden were saying, Ooh, I can apply for an accelerator if it's hybrid. So you know, one of my founders, a mom of three kids under 13, right? She was able to participate in the accelerator because we had an in-person component up front. We were virtual, then we touched base in the middle, and then we were virtual, and then we had an in-person component in the end. That's manageable. But moving for 13 weeks, um, and I say that for Des Moines because most of the um, companies were from outside of Iowa. We just didn't have enough companies to go who were accelerator VC scale ready um, to to have a ten person accelerator. And so 
the I think that's become the norm now is hybrid. So the other thing is people are working on their, you know, on their startups and that requires travel to different locations and that requires, you know, being offsite so they can be in this meeting, but then zoom in for something going on. So we're still doing a hybrid. I will say that the um, crypto program, which was majority virtual with just a mm-hmm. little bit in person, it's going to be flipped for Boston. So, you know, it'll be a lot more in person and um, the opportunity to be in a co-working space the whole time, but certainly not required. So we want to make sure the beginning, we want to make sure that the teams get to know each other and that there's an opportunity to meet mentors in person. And so we do all that up front. We also do some workshops, which are really valuable for all, although it's not a cookie cutter program. Um, most of the work is one-on-one with teams on wherever, whatever they need and wherever they are in their journeys. But there's some programming that is really, really valuable for everyone. And we'll do that together. Um, and then the virtual component, we basically live in a, in a, um, ecosystem space where we're engaging with each other, you know, um, either jump into a call, we'll use different platforms, uh, like Discord and Ecos. Um, for mentors to be able to meet with founders outside of the curated meetings, but also be able to just pop up and say, hey, you want to have a one-on-one meeting? Let's just jump into the space and do it. Make it really easy. Take away the friction. Um, and then we nice. come together for the end of the program, both to make sure that everyone's um, you know, accomplishing the things that they needed to accomplish, meeting the right people, putting their processes in, in place and being able to tell their story and be ready for demo day. What's the size of the team in Boston? Is it similar to Iowa? Is it similar city by city? Like how, how many folks do you have on the Techstars Boston team? So, yeah, most teams have two to three full-time and then expand yeah. with part-time during programs. So we have a lot of associates. And so um, we are actually looking for a program manager now for Boston. Um, I'm joined cool. by Jennifer Davis, investment principal, and she's been in, um, with Techstars Boston. Now this will be her third program coming up. Um, and she is, she's been living in Boston forever. She's in Watertown. Um, and so the team will be three in Boston and then we'll expand per program. Cool. And, uh the applications are open right now till June 7th, right? Any, yep. any extra, yep. any extra details for folks, young entrepreneurs listening? Uh, well, so I encourage people to apply for sure. Um, here's the thing. You lose nothing. Um, you get a chance to formulate your opinions on, you know, Oh, what do I, these questions are being asked of me. Do I have the answers for them? Um, but it also gives people a chance to learn more about ex- the accelerator through the process. Cause Jennifer and I will meet, we will read every single application and we'll meet with many. I meet with 500 entrepreneurs probably in any given year. Um, so we're meeting with a ton of those entrepreneurs and just learn. And so hopefully every interaction they have with me or with Jennifer, they're walking away saying, I learned something there and I'm going to be better for it. They might not be ready for the accelerator, in which case we're helping them with here, not just get ready for the accelerator, but if you want to be a successful founder, here's some things that we encourage you to look at, do whatever. So hopefully they move forward in that, in that way. But also, um, if they are 
beyond the accelerator. So some people talk to us and they're stuck. Mm -hmm. I want to help entrepreneurs succeed no matter what. Um, and sometimes uh, people think that, oh, I've already raised all this money. I'm at this you know, amount. They may find the accelerator valuable and I can help them understand whether it will be of value to them because the real value is in the network and in the one-on-one coaching that we're doing. The investment portion, obviously we give a very, you know, for that type of um, company, our investment can be up to 120K, which might not seem like very much. But on the other hand, we can also help them get ready to raise a lot of additional money on top of that. For others who are on the very early side, 120K is like literally, yay, let's get going. This is our first money in. So um, it really, we're finding companies that are in that sweet spot. That's great. Um, One more question for you before we do our fun final question. Um, I guess you, you kind of alluded to it too, like, well, you teed out, teed up that you know, TechStars um, makes investments in, the, in in companies. Um, is it is it all companies in in the program? Um, and 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 then also sort of on the flip for companies that whether they they are in a TechStars accelerator or not, you had some interesting um, tips for startups in terms in terms of like the, sort of like three you know common mistakes mm-hmm. to be careful to to avoid. I, I'd love for you to, sh- to to share those those tips with listeners. Sure. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I talk to a lot of founders who have the solution and they love their solution and they are not necessarily solving the problem that needs to be solved. So I encourage people to flip that on its head and just listen, 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 and be very loose um, with the solution and formulate it to meet the customer need. And that's, you know, again, that empathetic listening, really understanding where people are coming from. So that's number one. Um, Sadly, a lot of people spend a lot of money making those solutions too. Don't spend any money. Don't spend big money on those first. Um, They also can uh, make some fundraising mistakes, uh, you know, getting connected with the wrong investors, um, either investors who just don't aren't supportive of them for long-term and also who um, maybe take advantage of them early on. So we like to teach founders how to fish in terms of really understanding how to seek for funding, uh, how to seek venture capital funding and what process to go through. Um, And the other one is there are some amazing people out there. I mean, forces, out there, you know, founders who can really do a lot, but it is really hard to start a business on your own. And so finding um, a a co-founder or someone who will go through the process of building a business with with you is the best. Um, The, I've seen people try to put together on paper a team that doesn't work either. It's hard. You got to date people just like you were dating someone you're going to, you know, end up getting married to. Um, you've got to really understand are, are your values aligned? Is your vision heading in the same direction? Do you have different um, skill sets that you bring to the table? Can you argue with each other and get to a better place? Those are some of the things that people need to think about early on. So, yeah. That's great advice. Great advice. All right. Well, fun fast. Last question. Uh, we always like to ha- sort of give a a challenge to the, to the listeners. So, what, what's what's your challenge for for folks to go out and do you know, today or or every day? 
Well, I love to tell people embrace lifelong learning. Um, so learn at least one thing new outside of your area of expertise each day. So for me, you know what I do? I run, as we talked about before, and I listen to podcasts. And even though it might be in my, like sometimes I listen to, you know, invest like the best, or sometimes I listen to, you know, some founder story, anything. Um, it could be in my industry, but I'm learning something new every, every time. Um, I also read books that are just enhancing, you know, helping me learn more about my health or helping me learn about biology or genetics or anything. So I encourage everyone to do something, um, learn something every day, read a book, watch a documentary, meet someone, ask them questions. (laughs) I love that. Um, And challenge easily accepted by me just because I too am a runner and I too run while listening to podcasts. Yeah. Um, which is, that's my, that's my happy place, sort of getting out, getting that endorphin high, learning some new things. I think it's, yeah. it's a, it's a lo- lo- lovely way to keep progressing in life. So yeah, uh, good. Yeah. Curdy, thank you for being so generous with your time. It's been a real pleasure. Boston's lucky to have you. Um, it sounds like you're, um, you're getting out on the Charles River early in the mornings. You're you're starting to get you're getting your rowing game on this spring. I am. I'm doing a little <laughs> clinic now for four weeks, five forty-five a.m. Nice. There you go. <laughs> well, have fun getting up with the birds, and uh, looking looking forward to sharing this with the community, and, and hopefully uh, soon enough we'll get a chance to meet in person. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thanks. All right. Take care. Take Bye. care. Cheers, Boston. <laughs>